cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com, and it's time for the burning platform, everybody's favorite part of a Thursday where we go through some of the big things that are happening in current affairs, some of the stories in the news, some of the things that affect you and me, and we do it in a way that we hope will be useful and entertaining and informative for you. Sometimes it's more entertaining, sometimes it's more informative, sometimes it's neither, but we hope it can be both. So this morning, we're going to be joined by Solly Moeng, who we haven't seen for some time. Solly, look at you. You're looking, you're looking very healthy and happy. Is that an outside, is that an outside setup you've got in Switzerland at the moment? Uh, it's in my, it's in the room where I work from. I Fantastic. Yeah, and I work. Yeah. Well, you're looking. Sorry, I miss the blonde. Good. Yeah. What happened? You you used to have. You used to look like an old an old man, Sully. You look you look like a twenty year old, all spry. Some men some men lose their hairs and they do chiscop. I have my hair, so I can play with it just like ladies play with their hair, right? Nothing wrong. We certainly don't have a problem with it. But you you do you have knocked at least uh, five to ten years off of your your age here. So I think there's a lesson yeah, in, in that. In, ten, in, ten, in five days' time, it'll be back. <laughs> Sully, it's good to see you. Um, first and no, foremost, uh, obviously you keep up to date with all the stories that are going on in South Africa. Um, you're very yep. involved here. You have many of your clients in South Africa. So we, we're going to launch with the, the topic of discussion that you wanted to bring up this morning. It's only fair to let our guests choose where we go first. Um, and you want to talk about investment in South Africa and in Africa. We know because the president keeps telling us this, even if we don't believe him, it's probably true. And in my experience, the people I've spoken to who have international money that they want to invest in South Africa, they're waiting in the wings, right? They're waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for clarity. They're waiting for certainty. And it's very difficult to get those things from government these days. But what do you think the more important priorities for investors need to be? Anyone who's looking at where to put their money in, in, in the world right now, why would they look at South Africa, first of all? Second of all, what should they insist on? when they do decide to invest in South Africa? Look, South Africa still has some of the best in the infrastructure in Africa. It's, it's being caught up by other countries like Rwanda, you know, Ghana, they're building new, new infrastructure all over the place. Uh, but uh, when we, we have the new, you know, modern telecommunication systems and right. banking system, we all know that it's been cited over and over again. But what I think we need, we need to be looking for, as us, as citizens of these countries, we need to be saying to these investors, whether they are country investors or, or corporations from other parts of the world, you can't just be funding corruption, rot, and unethical leadership in, in, in Africa. We, we, we live in a world where we talk about ESGs, right? Environmental considerations, social governance issues. These people, a lot of times we know that they come in here provided they get political protection and assurance that their investments are not going to be messed up with. But they don't care about what's going on, what those people they, they, who, who, who lure them to our countries do. Um, and in South Africa is messed up. The ANC has messed up South Africa. And I think we need to say to these guys, if you support the ANC, you're actually supporting people who are messing us up. You know, Ramaphosa has been going on about so much money he's raised over the years. But look at the job numbers. I mean, where is that money going to? He keeps saying, yeah, some of those projects are already in, in place. They're, they're, they're being implemented. But we don't see the, the, the impact on job, on job numbers. So what's going on? Mm. Like growth, uh, jobless growth again? Um, well, I mean, Pumi, I don't think anyone's going to disagree that, you know, money that you give directly to the ANC is, is money wasted. But, but there's a, you've got to be careful, Sully, because otherwise we might put people off and they might not invest at all. And that could be hugely detrimental to the country, even well, if a little bit of it goes missing along the way. Uh, we'd, no. we'd, we'd rather have their investment than not. 
Look, look just, I, and just I practically, say you know? that we want investments. When Team South Africa goes to Davos, we want them to, but we also want them to ask the right questions. You see, the right. thing is, it's, it, there's no use if investments come here, but it's, they still give the impression of a government that's doing what it's supposed to be doing when it's not, when it's stealing from us, when it's messing our, our democratic institutions. So they, of course we want them to come. We want job, jobs to be created. We want all those people who are in the streets doing all sorts of crazy things, either selling or stealing or all the criminality to go down because people have salaries. Nobody would, anybody would be silly not to want that. But we also want them, investors to start saying, but guys, what are you doing to your people? Why do you have people, criminals in, in parliament? I, uh, yeah, I just, I want to, what do you, for me, yeah. But, but Sally, I mean, I think one of the biggest news stories across the world right now is the Glencore story and, and all of the nonsense they have gotten up to in all sorts of places, not just South Africa. And in fact, we haven't even paid enough attention to what it is that they were doing here in South Africa. And, you know, so on the one hand, sure, we want investors to say, but that's that's also what we know some of these companies can do. At the back of Zondo, we know how involved Bain was in terms of getting as, as a consultant and really instrumental in the way that state capture was perpetrated. If we think about what uh, McKinsey and their relationship <laughs> yes. at Eskom, and these are all international companies. These are, A, they consultants and be their companies that come looking like they are bringing skill sets, investment, international know-how and opportunity and then get here and get up to a whole lot of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, they do those things because somebody's allowing them to do those things. Nobody just comes into a country and does it. They have the, all these companies who have messed up in South Africa, McKinsey's, uh, Glencoe, all of them. They've had, they've had enablers, and most of those enablers are politically corrected, connected people. Usually when they come in, they say, look, you need to have partners local. We can help you find those partners. They're not going to find Joe, Joe in the street to be their political partners or their economic, black economic <laughs> empowerment partners, whatever that means. Okay. They're going to find connected comrades. And sometimes there are also kickbacks. So either individuals mm-hmm. or to political parties, it's messed up. So, all these companies must be pursued. They must be made to pay. But we also want to know who's been working with them to enable them to do what they did to South Africa all these years. So how can the little guy like me and you hold those companies to account? Join, join the ANC. Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> how, how? Were you going to say join the ANC? Yo. No, no, no. Climb on the no, Titanic. We, look, Climb we, on the we, Titanic after it's hit the iceberg. Look, we still have the legal uh, system that more or less works better than other systems, you know. I mean, we've seen how some of these people being called to account. Not all the other big names that we want, we still want to see out there. So we mustn't give up. You see, the last thing we should ever give up as South Africans, the last thing that we should ever do is give up, rather. So we must keep making the noise. It's frustrating. It's debilitating. Sometimes you get targeted. People like me end up leaving the country because it's safer not to be there. You know, because you start getting all sorts of me- So we can't <laughs> shut up. We need to keep making the noise. If I, if I can venture an answer to Pumi's question though, I, I think we are living in a time where companies are feeling extraordinary pressures from things like social media and they respond to them almost instantly. And I feel like, you know, when the EFF protests outside clicks because of normal hair shampoo, it seems to get clicks to change things and then they force their suppliers to change things too. And suddenly you see a change in behavior. I wonder why it's just not sexy enough for us to get on the case of a McKinsey, for example, and why people wouldn't protest outside McKinsey's offices. We know where they are. 
Uh, we know how much money they were involved in corrupt dealings with ESCOM with, uh, and not just ESCOM, but many other parastatals as well. They're consulting to God knows how many different departments of government at any given time. Same goes for a lot of the auditing firms. Do you remember when, which one was it that was in big trouble? KPMG, yeah, KPMG got into a lot of trouble with that, but nobody was protesting outside their offices in Auckland Park. Uh, why do we pick certain targets and not others? Surely we can start as citizens to mobilize yeah. ourselves a little more judiciously against the companies that really are costing us jobs, livelihoods, um, investment. Look, you, need, you need some people to be prepared to dirty their hands. I mean, look, Malema, when he was going at the EFF against Zuma, the payback moment, but the money campaign was really powerful. So you need people like this to, I'm not saying just to do like that or whatever. So you need people who are saying, okay, guys, we're going to do it on Monday. Come and join me. We're going to make noise. We're going to make sure these people do what mm. they're supposed to do. And keep making noise in their faces. But that doesn't mean you must go out and destroy public infrastructure and cause racial divisions and all that. So it's sometimes you get the wrong people with wrong agendas doing these things. Once they got what they wanted, they move on. Look at Malema is now Zoma's friend. I mean, he's the friend of all those people who are coalesced around Zoma during state capture. So he did it for his own interests. But, but South Africans have it in themselves. To say enough is enough, let's go into the streets and stop this nonsense. And the other thing is that we need to be a more attractive destination for foreign money. I mean, we, we our labor laws are, in some people's opinions, and this is controversial obviously too, in some people's opinions, our labor laws are much too strict and stringent and and, and exacting for a country where we have such high unemployment. Some people say that the, the BEE codes are onerous and that companies don't want to get involved in situations where they are suddenly having to hand over half of the money they're investing to someone that they're not even sure is adding value in many of these situations. Obviously, there's good BEE and bad BEE, but a lot of it is just ANC catered deployment and uh, sheltered employment, for that matter, for, for well-connected people in the ANC elite. Um, are these things that we need to consider shelving? Are, are we are we in a position where we can change the laws to make ourselves more attractive to foreign investors, Sully? Look, uh, in the in this post-COVID era, I mean, we are in post-COVID. You guys are still having too many cases. It seems uh, there's more competition for invest for you know there are more countries attracting investors. Sure. A lot of countries around the world have suffered through long, long lockdowns and businesses have suffered and all that. So they want investors to come to themselves. So it's investors are spoiled for choice. And when you have the supply of investors is big, uh, so the, the supply of countries or the demand is high, let's put it this way. Mm -hmm. So you need to say, okay, where do we become a little bit more flexible? How do we make it easier for investors? What are investors asking for? The thing is, investors have made it clear over the years what they would like, what the kind of structural changes that they would like South Africa to, to implement. But we haven't done those. So we right. need to say, what these people that we're going to bring in, what are they asking for? And let's look at the list of what they're asking for and decide which one of those things we can um, reasonably compromise on, which ones we cannot on. What are the deal breakers and what are the things that we can... I don't think we're having those conversations. You know, you say we're not having those conversations and I, I have to agree with you there that we're definitely not having those conversations. I, I often get lots of flack um, on the show here but about that because I think the only the only policies that we know of that everybody shouts about is ANC policy. But we don't know where Action SA, for instance, stands on some of those issues and what their policies are and what they would change and what they would keep the same. We we don't know where the EFF and, you know, the, 
other than the fact that they make so much noise on expropriation without compensation, mm. we really don't know what their economic policies are or where they stand on any of these issues, especially on the things that foreign investors have flagged and said, I mean, this was in Davos, I think, three years ago. Right. All of these issues were flagged quite, in fact, quite loudly, if that. And yet we don't hear any of the opposition parties make those noises to to kind of give the electorate a, a comfort that they're even thinking about those things. And the DA does try, maybe. I think what the problem with many of our smaller, even more growing uh, opposition parties is that they, t- they tend to be one-issue parties. Um, I said to myself, you need to be careful not to be known as a guy who's against immigration, even though, no matter how you are, you articulate it. Malema is known for one thing. Other people are not either quiet or not. So you need to be able to say, look, at, let's look at the totality of South Africa. Foreign affairs, or how do you position Africa, South Africa vis-a-vis Africa, vis-a-vis the rest of the mm. world? vis-a-vis the West, vis-a-vis the East. They're not having those conversations because they don't think that their constituents are interested in those things. In terms of investments, what do we really want to position ourselves as in Africa, given what Rwanda is doing and other countries in Africa that are taking a little bit over, especially events business? Well, I mean, God forbid God forbid you should do what Naledi Pandor did and express uh, you know, solidarity with the Ukraine and then only have yourself reprimanded and put back in your place by the President and the rest of Cabinet when it turns out that isn't official ANC policy. Uh, we don't even know what the, what the majority party, what, the, what the, the ruling party, in inverted commas, has to say about many of these things. So I, I'm with Pumi. Like, a lot of these positions are, are either too uninteresting to the broad public or to the politicians themselves, or they're not really a priority. And they'll, they'll come further down the line. Right now it's about making noise and getting attention. And that seems to be the case for many of these smaller parties. I don't think anyone disagrees with you there, Pums. All right, guys, let's just move on because there are a lot of things we want to discuss today. We've got a big box of things to unpack. So first of all, this is something which grates everyone who comes on the show. There isn't a single guest who said anything positive about these task teams that the president sets up. He's now set up a 25th (laughs) task team. Remember, he took office and there have been 24 of these before. This is the 25th. And this right, mm. this right after the outcry. He, mm? Since 2018, he has set up 25. And yeah, this will be the 25. And now 25, right? He, wow. Since 2018, he has set up 25 advisory panels, task teams, parallel government structures, you might call them. Right. And, and all of this, all of this to do the job that government should be doing without having to require these task teams. This is just as bad as the consultants that we were talking about a moment ago with Sully, who come into the country, charge a fortune to be able to put deals together so that ESCOM will work or Transnet will work. Obviously, they didn't in those two cases, so you are demonstrably failing at that. But they also charge like a wounded buffalo for the experience, and they're basically filling gaps where there's huge incompetence in government. 25 task teams. What do we have to say to that? Well, the other problem, and, and, and even Brian Willifer-Racy, he's not a fan of mine, of course, by far, uh, but he, he was correct in saying when the president creates a task team, say a war room, say which was the case at ESCOM, above the, the legally constituted board of an entity, what is the legal standing of that of the team? Can they? I mean, the boards have got have got uh, fiduciary responsibilities. The CEOs of SOEs of companies report into boards. Now, when you suddenly put another team above the board, you're confusing the executive, the CEO, 
Yeah. Whom do they report to? Who do they have to send to be to be to be making sure they, they, they whom do they please in their everyday uh, workings? So the president doesn't seem to think this this is the, he thinks his friends and a lot of these 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 task teams are called made up of old ANC comrades, you know, who are suddenly <laughs> don't have jobs anymore. Like, okay, comrade, come over there. There's a job over there. It's just for them to end them out, to keep them useful, to keep them getting money for nothing. We don't see reports. I have not seen a report for any of these things that is useful that ended up being implemented and changing things without Ramaphosa. It's like, I have no idea where this man comes from. <laughs> and aren't they, aren't they very often <clears throat> just covering up for uh, someone who is meant to be doing that job who isn't doing it? So a consultant is brought yeah. in to, to kind of cover for them, essentially. I I have to tell you this, and, I'm, and, and I won't mention names because I cannot. I used to have a client who worked, worked for a government department. This dude had been uh, deployed from, from, from correctional services to head up a, a, you know, a communications sector of this company, of this SOE, I won't mention name. This dude knew, knew nothing. The only thing that I, I liked about him is that he was humble, he was nice. You would call me at night and say, hey, my brother, I need you to help me to put a report out. I, I need to do this. He didn't know anything, and he was paid huge amounts of money. He drove this beaker. His own boss would call me to say, sorry, please, I need you to help me with something, because this dude can't do it. So his boss calls me to say, please help me with this thing. And he calls me saying, sorry, my boss asked me to do this. I can't do it. Can you help? So I, I kept just doing what I was asked to do by these people. So you have people like that who are deployed because they have good political cloud, but they know nothing, absolutely nothing. So they, they rely on consultants, they big trade, they, they, they drive big dollars, big salary checks, packs, they don't know the job, the consultant does the job. Right. Correct. Um, it's we we are we are probably we have more consultants per capita than probably any country in the world right now. It's ridiculous. Well, there was a report a couple of days ago about a municipality in KZN, and I, I'm for whatever reason right now I cannot think which municipality it is, but the, the report was about the millions. I think a hundred and thirty-seven million rand mm. spent in the past financial year on consultants. Who were there to do the work that should be done by the officials within the municipality, but the, muni the those municipal officials do not have the skill set to you do know, that and, work. And the difficulty, uh, guys, is not just that the people often are incompetent; they don't know how to do the job. It's also because they get taken for a ride by people who come in and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you want this cup." This mark, I can sell it for you for oh, five hundred rands. I mean, like, dude, it can't be five hundred. So they don't, they don't seem to exercise discretion because say, this thing that they're trying to offer to sell me at this price, I can get it elsewhere. But again, sometimes there was a story of a military gentleman in South Africa. He wrote an article about two or three years ago. His his unit patrols the border around uh, the northern border, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Botswana, and he said in that article, you know. In order, the, our biggest expense goes to replacing the, the, the wheels for the, for the, for the chips that we have to drive. Mm -hmm. around the and when I look on the market, I could get a wheel, a good tire, tire. I could get a good tire for about 3,005. But according to our procurement services, I cannot buy outside. So I have to use the guys as suppliers. These guys sell these wheels at 10,000 rands for us. What do you mean to do? So all my budget goes into this thing. I could go to Goodwill. I know these cars for 3,005, but I'm forced to use some schmuck who has no value at 10, at, and pay him 10,000 yeah, 10, rand. Right. It's crazy. It's, it's, grift, it's grifting. That's what we see more grifting than anything else in, uh, in South Africa's political circles. All right, let's, let's look at something else here. And because 
uh, Cyril and his task teams are not going to solve a goddamn thing. It's like all those commissions of inquiry that never go anywhere. And, you know, God bless Judge Zondo because at least he's been trying. But I honestly, I don't know what the point of any of this stuff is. If there isn't any execution afterwards, if people aren't charged, if people aren't arrested, there's no point. And the task team's going to come with its findings. We may or may not be privy to those because that's another thing, right, Pumi? Sometimes we don't even know what the task team found. Sometimes they don't even bother mm. to tell us. We've paid for it, but we never get the results. It's like going and then to the, we have a press conference from Shabila Padoi saying, I oh, really can't do what I'm supposed yeah, to do because I don't, have, I don't have enough money. Excuses. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough people. I don't have enough political it's, it, will it's like going, to support It's like me. going to the, the, the pathologist. You get your blood tests, but they never bother to tell you what your results are. I mean, that's the way I see it. All right, so... Shamila Batohi speaks more and more like a deployed comrade herself. I'm sorry. Yeah. We... Because she... Okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she? Because she is. Because she is. Yeah. Right. Sad. Guys, sad. Uh, what is also sad is the situation with Eastern Cape schools. For some reason, despite it being the home of the ANC, despite it being the province from which we've had two presidents come, despite it being a place that is just crying out for some leadership... Some, some, some ethical, moral leadership, some genuine concern. People are trying to eke out an existence there. It is a disaster. It's a basket case. And one of the worst things about the Eastern Cape is the situation with Eastern Cape schools. Let's just talk yeah. about that because there's been a follow-up visit by GroupUp. And they say that the ground si- up. Ground up, sorry. Ground up. And they say that the situation has got worse, not better, since 2013. We thought it was bad in 2013. It's got worse? What I don't understand is, is that apparently the IEC tells us most people in the Eastern Cape voted ANC. I have no idea how that could have happened. And many people in the Eastern Cape ran to the Western Cape, okay, to look for jobs and to demand homes there. How can they run away from the ANC and then want to vote for the ANC? There's something that doesn't add up for me. We need to understand why. The ANC has, nothing has improved in the Eastern Cape. Wherever the ANC has been involved, there's a book that was written by uh, a gentleman, an ex-ANC gentleman, uh, who's left long ago. I forget, he used to be the DG and now Vadi Musa. He described what happened to Nelson Mandela Bay, how tenders run, how the city, actually the city is it's called How to Steal a City. Uh, I'm terrible. I'm terrible with the names now, but that book tells you exactly. And he had to run away from the Eastern Cape because he. he it is not fiction. He said this so and so and so and so did this. They wrote that, they approved that, and this mm-hmm. is how this guy think going to happen. So the ANC has been messing up. Still, these guys just steal. They think once you get a job, it's it's like take as much as you can while you're there because you don't know how long you've got to be in that job for. And that's what they do. And the people of the Eastern Cape, what do they do? They either run to the Western Cape or to Johannesburg, or they apparently, which I don't believe, vote amounts for the ANC. I don't know. I don't know. We need to have a conversation about the IC at some point. I have an unpopular opinion. Go on, Pumps. About this, because when I read the article from Ground Up, and I, I th- there were many things in, in that article that are horrifying um, and can squarely be put on the door of the Department of Basic Education and bad political leadership and, and, and. But I do also think that South Africans, ha- we have relegated our power to the politicians and the people in big offices, wherever. So some of the schools, I mean, across the board, they've got issues with classrooms. They don't have enough teachers. The the schools are overcrowded. And that that is a basic education 
problem. That is the Department of Basic Education that needs to allocate more teachers, needs to allocate more budget for classes, all of that. But then there, there are some basic things for me, like sanitation and toilets. And the, the but there are pit latrines in a lot of these schools, which is unacceptable to this day. But there is also an issue of just basic hygiene. Mm-hmm. And the complaint, the, the one thing that I read which stood out very starkly for me is how the principal complains that, you know, they don't have a person that has been hired to clean the toilets. Therefore, they have filthy toilets. Mm-hmm. And that just blew my mind. Because I am thinking if my child went to a school and there was a problem at that school and there weren't enough people to clean the toilets, there should be a roster of parents, if yeah. if not a roster of the students cleaning their own fucking toilets, right? right? There should be a roster of parents then who are willing to come and clean the toilets because your children go to that school. And, and what I thought about is that our church, so our church does not have a full-time person who cleans the church therefore there is a roster mm-hmm. that goes zone by zone every saturday the women from this zone and the men from the zone come into the garden and the women come in to clean up the church that's what we do it's your church it's your toilets it's you just come and clean it and i i get it right i get that there is a level at which the people in an office at the district you know, at the district office can send down directives. But there is also just the basic decency that says, we are here, our children go to the school, and there is no one to clean these toilets. But rather than make a roster of people to clean the toilets, they will rather have their kids pee in the bush. Yeah. That is, yeah. And that's where we are now yeah. as South Africans. That's well, where we are well, as I mean, South Africans. This, this we have is, relegated our this power. Isn't, it's an unpopular opinion, Pumi, but it's the right opinion. And we need to have people saying this more because, honestly, the only way we fix this is to rely on ourselves. The less we rely on government or on institutions or on uh, on, on systems that don't work, the, the happier we'll be. And believe me, there is nothing, there is no indignity in someone taking responsibility for their own life or for their child's life and their own child's sanitary, hygienic uh, attendance of school. I think this is such an important thing. Adults in this country can't even look after public buildings. We, 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 we suppose that we are living in a civilized society, but it seems to me like a lot of people are quite content to wade around in their own ordure and then complain about the government because the government hasn't cleaned it up when they've made the mess in the first place. Yeah, look, the, the responsibility lies on all sides. I, I, I kind of agree with you, but also, Don, uh, you know, in the sense that we are allowing a parallel economy to happen. And what I'm saying is that we pay taxes and we pay rates and taxes to government. We must still organize our security as our, our neighborhood watches. We, electricity is not there all the time. Water is not there all the time. People have to run away from public in schools and hospitals to find private uh, assistance or, or services and pay higher fees. But they still pay taxes to government. I think as, to, as, to, as long as we contribute to government coffers, we mustn't shut up. Of course, yeah. where places... Where we have to, we can do things ourselves. People do it anyway. Across South Africa, people are building bridges, they're cleaning, they're fixing streets and places mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But, but we mustn't shut up because we're still playing these people who are getting fatter and fatter and more useless as they get fatter. I'm sorry. We can't say fine. We know what? We're not going to rely on, on you. If we're going to say we're not going to rely on you, then we must pay the tape and stop paying taxes to them and use this money to fix our stuff ourselves. I I hear you on the the paying taxes and not doing both, but it's actually a continuum. 
right? The, the, we spoke earlier about the fact that South Africans don't don't organize, don't uh, at at the McKinsey offices and all of that kind of stuff. It is a continuum, right? It's about taking the responsibility and then taking action. Yeah. And the action starts. So, so the action starts at the ballot box with who and how you vote but it's also in the little things is if you're saying i i'm paying tax therefore i'm not doing anything else yeah. right yeah. Th- that doesn't help it does not help the situation because we are here now so we are here now we get to vote every five years and i want us to talk about the by-elections um yes, yesterday's please. by-elections right. but but it's 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 a continuum Mm. It's the little things you do every day, and it is the big things. Right? It's all of those things. It's a continuum. I really do. I just don't want us to give them the impression that it's okay. We'll keep paying you. You don't have to do anything. We'll do it ourselves. We mustn't do that. All right. So, Pumi, you've, got, you've piqued our attention with these by-election results. So where were the by-elections held, and what have we learned? What, what do we see in the trends here? Because so often with these elections, we get excited, and then we just see more of the same in every previous election. So there were five by-elections mm-hmm. yesterday. One in Mpumalanga, mm-hmm. one in KZN, um, two in Gautengs, one in Soweto, which is, I, I want to talk about Soweto specifically, and one in the Western Cape. So the Western Cape by-election, uh, the DA1, away from the ANC. In the KZN by-election, uh, the ANC has retained that ward, uh, but with a very, 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 very slim margin, I think by something like 30 votes. And there is a big revolt happening. And why I want to talk about Soweto in particular, in Pumalanga, the ANC has retained it, which was a a very strange outcome. It doesn't seem to be holding across just the the way that those numbers came out doesn't seem to be holding. And also I do want to make a plug here at break is, you know, I follow Davis Wills. So he's the one that's been crunching up the numbers. He's the Mm -hmm. one that's been throwing these numbers out all night. And this is uh, all the stuff that I'm, the numbers that I've got, I got out of his, from his Twitter account. And in Pumalanga, so the ANC has won in Pumalanga, but the very, very interesting by-election is Soweto, not just because I'm a Sowetan, but also because Soweto is a very strong ANC stronghold, and they are a very active uh, part, right? So you you get to see a, a trend with Soweto. In this area, in this, it's Ward 53, 19,000 registered voters, 19,474 registered voters, and of those, only 5,730 turned up to vote. This is a big thing. Yeah, yeah. This is, and this is why I make the, the, the comment about the fact that we, we actually, as South Africans, we really don't take these matters into our own hands. So people just didn't show up to vote. That's right. Th- that's 30%. That's a 29% turnout. Huh. That's a 29% turnout. Right. Which says a lot, right? So it says people, and, and we've had this conversation before on the show where I've said to you guys that people would rather not vote than yes. vote for the opposition. Yes. And that says a lot too, right? It's, it says a lot, not yeah. just about the opposition, but also about how people are feeling about the politics, right? But it's also people who've, been, who've grown and been... Uh, 
baptized in the African National Congress who only know the African National Congress. It's really a big jump to go to somebody else. I mean, even uh, the late Archbishop Tutu said it as a point. Remember when he was really angry after they denied the visit to the Dalai Lama? And he said to them, you know what, I'm not going to vote. He didn't say, I'm going to vote for somebody else. He said, I'm not going to vote. And that, for me, that was telling. You know what? I'm not giving him a vote anymore. And many people would rather sit at home and say, rather than vote for somebody else. That needs to change. People need to realize that we, if we want to be a multi-party democracy where there's a contestation of ideas all the time, they have to empower opposition voices at some point. Not wrong ones, but we need, we need as many voices as possible in our, in our politics. Absolutely. But, the, but politics and voting is all a seduction. Right, The job, the onus is on the opposition parties to seduce the voter. That's, that's what it is. It's, people are not just going to change their vote. The job is on the opposition parties to seduce the voter and convince them to vote for them. Why must they vote for them? Not blame the voter for not voting for them. Convince them to vote for them. And we don't have that. So, have so, that me, what, so what's going to happen? Because if... If 30%, let's say 29, 30% of the people voted, that doesn't give that local government terribly much of a mandate. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually kind of embarrassing. They'll call themselves. Oh, but it does. Well, oh, but it does. Because it this does. is the flaw. This is the flaw. This is the evil in the system, right? This is the flaw of democracy is that it's, it's not about the mandate of everybody. It is about the mandate of the people who show up to vote. So what do we, so what do we, by election, what does it so tell us? But hang on, what does it tell us about 70% of the people that have just given up? Do they also just not believe in government? Are they anarchists? What, what does it tell us about them? Are they, do they love the ANC so much, they're so disappointed by what's going on, that they're going to sit there on their hands? It would be interesting. I mean, it would be interesting for somebody to make a follow-up and find out why did you not follow Because you, you, my chance is that somebody is going to say, you know what, I'm tired of politics. Why do we keep voting and voting and voting and nothing changes? I've heard that over and over again. And maybe there's a bit of that in there as well. But yeah, it'd be interesting just for somebody to make a follow-up. So I do want to tell you what the results look like. Go for right? it. So the results look like this. They look like the ANC, 34%, but that's a 22% drop in, in the voting. Mm. Action SA got 30% of the vote, mm. which is an 11%. Remember that the last election was 2021. This is a by-election, so we've got 2021 to compare it to. So Action SA has gone up by 11% from what they got eight months ago. When did we vote? In November. The EFF, 28%, and they've grown by 12%. The DA is at 8%, they've grown by 3%. Right. So overall, and this this is the the really interesting number when you look at the pattern of what's happened in that ward since the 2011 election. In the 2011 election, the ANC won by 90%. In 2014, they only got 78% of the vote. 2016, 67%. 2019, 71%. 2021, 58%. And yesterday, they got 32%. So the people, this, this does not bode well. For where we are going in 2024, because across the board, so in all of the districts where the voting was, all five of the by-elections, the ANC has lost big. To your point about the the what what opposition parties are doing, I think it might be interesting to have a look at Action SA, which you just mentioned. These guys are at least they are trying their best to be all over to the, the 
green is growing in, in, in footprint in South Africa. They're talking to issues. I think they should talk more than to more than just immigration. Uh, people are, are getting lured to us. I mean, but it's going to be interesting to see, to keep looking at their trajectory, where they're going to be in 2014. They will be kingmakers at some point, I think. It's going to be very fascinating to see. And and what the pattern looks like, right, is it, it definitely looks like Action SA is making inroads. Uh, the EFF is holding steady. They won Rand West, which was the other uh, Gauteng uh, by-election. They won it from the ANC. So the, the EFF is holding steady, but it's not shooting out the lights. It's not growing at the same um, at the same rate that it was growing, yeah, they've as, run, you know, from 2016, they've kind of plateaued I, I a little it's, bit. It's fair to say that they've run out of steam. I mean, the, the EFF were completely silent and useless during COVID. They were they were nowhere to be seen or heard. And unless they can drum up some kind of old, tired race issue, which is the only drum they have left to beat, I don't think anyone really listens to them. You know, Julius was so desperate for attention the other day, he got people protesting outside the French embassy for Francophone <laughs> Africa. I mean, we spoke about this last week on the Burning Platform, but that's a pretty desperate cry for attention. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So here's another thing that was interesting in what happened at that uh, ward, in ward 53. There was an independent contesting the election. Mm-hmm. And that independent candidate, which is important for Musimai Mani, got 22% of the vote. Sure. So the ANC won at 32, and they got 22% Fantastic. of the vote. Fantastic. The well. EFF got 23%. So the EFF came in second with 23%. And that's a very close margin, hey? 23, 22, and 20 for Action SA. I think, I think these independent so candidates are, are the people to watch, and they're the ones who may be able to make a, a, a huge d- difference in municipalities. Because at that level... If you're an independent and you have no one to answer to, you're not part of some corrupt party structure, or you have to wait for very complicated policy to be generated at the top levels of that structure, you can get things done. Let's hold thumbs that more of these independents rise up, because I think there are plenty of people on the, on the ground level, Pumi, you're always saying this, who are able to make a difference in communities. Sometimes they're growing vegetable gardens. Sometimes they're looking after everyone else's children. Sometimes they're paying for things. Sometimes they're fixing things themselves. You even mentioned, Solly, they're building bridges. They're fixing the water and electricity. They're not being paid money. If those people are elected to municipalities, we have a much better chance than the politicians. And electoral reform is coming. The, the deadline is looming. Mm-hmm. There is, so going into 2024, I keep saying on the show, there's going to be a seismic shift in politics in South Africa. The ANC is breaking its feet. Apparently, it's, it's been trying to ask for extension to the deadline. So we really should hope that it happens before the next elections. The elections are going to happen in two years' time, more or less, 24 months' time. But what is important, I think, more than anything, which is my favorite thing to say on the show, is... South Africans have got to get up. South yeah. Africans have got to yeah. get up and have got to get out there. What we see with Action SA, you say they're all over the place, is they are out there, they are campaigning, right. they have got boots on the ground, which means we can all make a difference, right? If, you, if you're if you not sure where you are aligned, pick a side, guys. Pick right. a side, show up. Give your time, give your energy, give your skills. Put your hand up and be part of the movement for change. If we're talking about the fact that we're not seeing the opposition uh, parties and we're not hearing the opposition parties, maybe it's because people are not there for the opposition parties. Um, 
Can I can I refer us to uh, you talk about skills? Uh, it seems that someone with some skills has been hired by the president. Um, he's hired a well-known <laughs> PR guy as a spokesperson. Uh, Pumi, you can tell us who that is, and um, maybe this means that Cyril is finally going to do a bit of campaigning himself and go on a bit of a charm offensive. So. Do we know who this person is? Do we know how much they're being paid? Do we know what they're, they're planning to do about Cyril's uh, faltering reputation? So Vincent Maguena hmm. is the person who has been, and he is, he's a well-known in the, in the industry, in the communications and PR space. Uh, Sonny, I see you smiling. You, you know Vincent. And Vincent is coming back to the presidency for a second time. He had a very short stint in the presidency with, uh, Jacob Zuma. But he lived because of frustrations. Mm. And now he's been in shame. First day on the job, he has to deal with this shit show that's at the phrases. <laughs> so, so but, first of all, Sully, have you seen the story about Arthur Fraser? Do you give it any credence whatsoever, or do you think it's just a very low-level tactical smear campaign about something which actually doesn't affect the majority of South Africans in the first place? Cyril's probably worth so much more than the money he's supposed to have uh, in cash at some farm in Limpopo. Is this a story worth paying attention to, or is it just part of the disinformation campaign that we should ignore? It's not a story to ignore because look at the Fraser, whether we like him or not, he was the head in the spy box in South Africa and he knows a lot of things about a lot of people. The question is, why is he taking this one out now? I mean, look, we, but we also know that Arthur Fraser is politically aligned to the Zuma RT mm. faction, right? Very compromised, seen, yeah. So they're all preparing to uh, approach to take Ramaphosa out in December. So I think we're going to see a lot of this now. There's Ramaphosa seekers being thrown out to weaken him, to put him onto the defensive. This Mabonya dude has got to be really, really busy. I, I don't know if he's got to be doing spin or real communication as we're watching him. Uh, so I don't think we should ignore other phrases because if he, he has some serious information to him, but again, it's going to be complicated because it's very politically. It has political ramifications that are massive from for Ramaphosa. Uh, I don't know if Piggy Taylor is going to allow, to allow any investigation to happen ahead, ahead of December. So the, the, there's, there's a lot of, of stuff that's happening that's not politically innocent, if you want, mm. that done with people with one eye on the electoral conference in December. So, of course, it's doing it for, for malicious reasons, but... Why is he doing it now? Is he telling the truth? Maybe he's not telling all of the truth, some of the truth, but the courts must decide on that. I don't see the evidence going through the courts before December this year. Okay. Uh, Pumi, do you have anything further to say on this Arthur Fraser thing, or do you think that Sully's pretty much said it all? Uh, no, I think, look, the Arthur Fraser thing is going to be a fascinating sideshow to watch. But I do, I, I'm interested to see what Cyril's plans are bringing in Vincent and whether we're going to see a lot more of Cyril out in the open, if we're going to see more answers. You know, Cyril has famously not given any press conferences and not taken in. And even though we've seen more of him than any other president on TV almost every other week in what has famously been dubbed the family meetings, <laughs> but he doesn't take questions, doesn't yeah, take questions yeah. from. <laughs> and, and even though media, mainstream media, as we call it, have, treats Cyril with kid gloves. They really do treat Cyril with kid gloves. He does not get. Definitely. Uh, he, he does not get hammered the way Jacob Zuma got hammered. He, it's never Cyril's fault. Nobody talks about, does Cyril know what he is doing? Even as he has 25 
advisory councils and 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 even mm-hmm. as state institutions are collapsing around his ears even as the petrol prices through the roof yeah. all the cabinet ministers seem to be doing their own thing it is never Cyril's fault it is always yeah. it's nefarious forces around Cyril it's these mm-hmm. factions around Cyril and I'm wondering if we're going to see a turnaround in the way that Cyril is portrayed um, in the media oh, well, Maybe we're well see if, the, Cyril if, being portrayed if there's, if there's again, a PR guy like doing this I mean it, it, the media the, most of them would be licking their lips at the opportunity to tell good stories about Cyril and I'm sure News 24 will be front and center trying to paint him as the the new hero a new uh, stylized version of Cyril with PR are people working hastily in the background to try and prop him up as someone we should look up to? I, don't, I think we, we're giving too much power to the PR people. I mean, he's a spokesperson. I don't know if he's an advisor. There's a difference between being a spokesperson. A spokesperson is someone who gets told, go and say this to the media, to the public out there. An advisor says, okay, this is how we think. I think, look at Temba Maseko when he was mm-hmm. head of government. He was good. He was reliable. People knew mm-hmm. they could talk work with this guy but before Zuma that was before Zuma came he was sailing pretty much in still waters but this guy he can you he can only spin something so so much Cyril has failed on at many fronts I don't think a pure person is going to make him look like a like an example who succeeded if he's failed he has not been uh, strong enough to make decisions that he should have made to say no when he should have said no I don't know if a pure person is going to make him say those things <laughs> it's gonna be tough so let me ask you both then, in the case of Fikilim Balula versus Stephen Hrtis, which I'm sure you will have picked up on in the news, and increasingly uh, now Branko uh, Berkic, who is the, the editor of the Daily Maverick, who's also climbed into Fikile. Um, sometimes the media likes someone and sometimes they don't. That's Fikile's assertion anyway. He says it's gutter journalism and they're targeting him unfairly. Um, of course, they say that he has earned every bit of blame that he got from Stephen Curtis, and he is a liar, and he's made up things, and he calls himself Mr. Fix-It when he's fixed absolutely bugger all. What do we think about this? Is this just, you know, a minister with a very fragile ego being uh, called to order by journalists who perhaps, or perhaps not, depending on your point of view, uh, have an axe to grind with him? I'm, I'm not sure that this is nothing. But I don't think it's the biggest story in the world. What do you, what do you think of this, Pumi? Is it, is it a storm in a teacup that the rest of us shouldn't be involved in? Or is it something that's indicative of a much bigger problem in cabinet, that there isn't accountability, that no one really is held to any standard, and the president has effectively lost control of his ministers? Or maybe never had it to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe never had it to be with. And I, I think it, it, it's about time Fikidem Balula got complete got a, a, a complete like public flame because he actually Fikile Mbalula is probably one of the most useless ministers and he's been in cabinet for so bloody long besides the fact that he he, he thinks he's a celebrity mm. and behaves like one mm-hmm. right everywhere he goes and he flip-flops and he lies and he he grandstands quite a lot you know yeah. He's a loudmouth. He needs a public playing, and I'm I'm happy for Stephen to have taken the you know to have taken yeah. the first lick at the whip. Yeah, he has self-esteem issues. Somebody who behaves like that has self-esteem issues. I mean, he's called himself Mister Fixit, Fear Fokol, yeah. Because he's got self-esteem issues. Remember, he was once kidnapped and forcibly taken to the party. 
Oh, Pumi. Don't attack his, he wants don't, attack, <laughs> don't attack his manhood, Pumi. It's bad enough he wears those granny glasses. Listen, we're talking about self-esteem issues. These are all the things that add up to this kind of behavior, public behavior. He's a child. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's been there too many of the 18 ministers have been there for too long. I have questions for Fikir and Banila that uh, Brian Rostron didn't add to his to his work. For, people forget this. Fikir and Banila was appointed at the height of state capture to become police minister. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a time when the Guptas had a lot of power in the appointment of ministers, SOE, boards, and chairpersons, uh, etc. There's no way that Mbalula would have been appointed police minister at the time when the Guptas did, if the Guptas didn't trust him. Okay? And they were never blue lights at, at Saxonwald by Mbalula. Mbalula never spoke about state capture. He never, he mm-hmm. looked the other way around. The other way, so he. I wanted to tell him why were you so quiet? Even Tulima Donsela's report had come out on the on, on, on state capture. Malula was appointed minister of police when the Kupses knew that whoever occupies that position is going to give us trouble. Why has he been quiet? What was he told not to look at? And he hasn't told us that. Well, do you think he's ever going to? I mean, the guy can't account for himself because if we actually did an accounting of him, he'd come up seriously wanting. There's no two ways about it. Are there are there any yeah. are there any ministers who you do think maybe if we're being really unkind that we should give a little bit of credit to? Are there ministers who have made don't laugh immediately, Sully. I'm trying to just give this a second glance and be a little bit respectful. Respect meaning in this case to look twice. Um, are there ministers who are trying their their damnedest despite all of this that's going on around them? Are there ministers whose departments are efficiently running? Um, you know, I did give credit a while ago to a certain licensing department near me that I went to to renew my driver's license at. They were effective. There was a woman there who was running things like a well-oiled ship. It happens to be a part of the Department of Transport. I don't doubt that it has very little to do with Fikilim Balula. But I think there are people in government at various levels, very low levels, sometimes middle ones, sometimes even near the top, who are really trying their best. Um, and and I would like to give more of them credit if we could only find more of them. But there's a difference between giving credit to those hardworking South Africans who know that they're there to serve the public and giving the same credit to the ministers. I am struggling to find a minister I have mm. respect for. I'm sorry. But I do. I have encountered South Africans in, in, in home affairs elsewhere who really, really work hard. Okay, And I respect those people. I don't give the, the credit to, them, to, the, to any minister. And the civil service remains, you know, unfortunately, you have as a worker, as the workforce, which is what the civil service is, you have to be motivated to do your job well, to be able to wake up every day and go to work and do your job well. You need to be motivated by good leadership. You need to be motivated by being in a good environment. And unfortunately, we don't have those two things. We, We do not have and fish rot from the head, they say, right? And we do not have that. And, you know, Gareth, you talk about ministers and saying, is there a minister out there or a ministry that's doing well? Or Unfortunately, that, that kind of falls into exactly where Cyril wants us all to be, right? That the problem is is not is not everybody in the organization. There's a problem with the systems and some people in the organization. But you know, like Advocate Defoe would say, I put it to you that the problem <laughs> is the entire organization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, 
all have to yeah. do. <laughs> there was a time when I kind of began to like Titumboweni, mm. but it, and then it turned into something else. In the, I think that, like Busisi Weber also said, the, the problem is the system, as Pumi has also said. The AP, these people work for the ANC. All these people we call public representatives are party representatives. When the ANC says you go to vote this way, irrespective of whether it's good for South Africa or not, they will vote the way the party tells them. They are there for their jobs. So even Tito Boeni, I mean, we, we know he tried to push back, you know, in terms of narrative. He said, but guys, what about this? What about this? Mm-hmm. this? But at some point, they, they whip him back into line, and then he ended up leaving in the end. You know? So from time to time, somebody stands up and say, but guys, this doesn't make sense. But then the party reminds them, excuse me, we send you there. This is where we stand, okay? Either you like the job or you don't. And if you don't, if you don't, if you know, if you're going to go there and continuously speak against the party line, then maybe you shouldn't be in that job. So, but we, where are they going to get employment if they lose those packs? Well, Pumi, you referred this morning to that report about 60,000 new millionaires in South Africa who've been added to the tax base. I mentioned yesterday that we've reduced our unemployment rate by almost 1% and that people are singing in the streets of course that we've we've done by 0.9 percent a reduction in unemployment it's still in the in the 30s which is outrageous um are these are these statistics distractions from the real story which is that our economy is stuck we are in a very bad position unemployment remains our single greatest threat we we have hugely impoverished groups of people in this country who have nothing to do, no meaningful or gainful employment. And if you have no meaningful or gainful employment and you have no contribution to make, you are bound to deteriorate either psychologically, physically, mentally, spiritually. Something's going horribly wrong in a country where we cannot find things for 35, 36% of people to do. Yeah, of course, you're absolutely correct. Look, what used to be petty crime in South Africa is now an armed robbery. I was in South Africa in April. I went out for a ride on my bike on, my, on a Sunday morning to, you know, I got robbed with knives and guns. They took my, my bike. I looked so at those sorry. big knives that this dude could that could put that knife in me. I would be, I would die. There was there were no witnesses, so I let them take my bike. Okay, now. And, and we hear these stories every day. People being stopped for their watches, for their necklaces, for some. These guys do not hesitate to hurt you because they know they will sell it and get whatever they want. And there's also a, a network of small businesses in South Africa that are enabling this pretty crime. So they take my bike, they take your necklace. They know where to, they're going to sell cash converters, cash crusaders. Those people buy these things. I don't care where they come from. So, so they, South Africa is messed up. You know, and because of those numbers that you're mentioning, people don't have jobs. They have to worry about where they're going to get their next meal to feed their families or to get their next fix of drugs. And what do they do? They do anything that they can. Even when they see a light, a public light in there, they just take it off. Paving, this takes stuff. Look at the transit infrastructure. Look at ESCOM infrastructure. Look at where all those cables are going. We are messed up. And the numbers of employment are not getting better. I mean, this, this is just a side show, as you say. Yep. It's PR. Yep. Pumas, anything to add as the last word for this morning? It is a distraction. It is a distraction. We have really, we have two big problems that are interlinked in this country. The first one being that we have 13 million South Africans who live on less than 20 right today. And that is linked to the unemployment rate. Every other thing, 
every single political party, every single politician, every single person, we should be putting our best minds to the task of solving that problem. We shouldn't be solving the problems of Arthur Fraser and his four million US dollars in the in somebody's farm. We should and instead of being distracted by all of these little things, which we are doing, is we are not solving the real problem, mm. which has us at a precipice. At a precipice. And every single South African should really consider for themselves what is it that you are doing every day to work towards solving this problem. Whether in a small way or a big way. Yeah. It's not just it's not just in paying your taxes. It's mm. not just in keeping your head get down involved. and staying out of trouble. Gotta You've got to get involved. We're, we are the pig. We're the pig at breakfast. We're not the chicken. The chicken is involved. <laughs> we are engaged. We are <laughs> we are, we are part of the meal, and we need to realize like there's no there's no way out of this. No matter how rich or poor or, uh, or 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 employed or unemployed or old or young or black or white you are, you have to get involved. Sally, I'm really sorry that you got robbed when you came here. I mean. You, you you spend a bit of time in the country again, and what do we do? We steal from you, so you go rushing back to Switzerland where you won't be robbed. I'm sorry. Yeah, I cycle very easily, safely. Nobody's going to take my bike at that point, for sure. Look, I think the, the changes we need in South Africa are systemic changes. Those people uh, put me that we spoke to who are registered to vote and don't vote are high problem. We need to... The, the way, if we want to, to sustainably change the way South Africa is run, the direction is taken, we have to move the ANC. We have to work in it strongly. And we can't work in it if people don't vote. We have to vote. We have to change it so that we can have people at the top. We can say, okay, we should do things this way under let's, the ANC. We need a post-ANC South Africa. Let's, let's end this way then, because I think one of the highlights I've uh, taken out of this conversation is Pumi's reading of that by-election in Soweto with that independent candidate getting 22%. Don't just vote. If you're a registered voter, don't just vote. Maybe you should stand. Maybe that's what yeah. you should do. Maybe we should all realize that now we are the pig instead of the chicken. You can't just lay an egg. You have to actually give your bacon. And it might mean for some people a change in career. It might mean for some people that you suddenly have to take yourself seriously and, and be willing to have other people take you seriously. It's not easy. But the more people we can have doing that... The better and we'll be get. willing to be ridiculed. Yeah, and, 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 me, and go, be willing to be ridiculed. And go and clean to, to do the crazy thing. And go and clean the toilets at your kids' schools rather than have them pee and and, and have to use ablutions outside. <laughs> right. I mean, let's let's all just get our hands dirty. Unfortunately, that is not a pleasant thought, but it's something we have to consider. Thank you very much, Sully. Good to have you on the show again. It's always lovely to hear your, your insights and your thoughts. And Pumi Mashiko will return with me for another episode of The Burning Platform next Thursday. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye, guys. Cheers. Cliffcentral.com.